Good morning, church family. It is so good to see all of you here this morning on what is the first Sunday in May and the first Sunday of our study of the epistle of 3 John. Now, although we as a church body have been working our way through John's epistles since September of 2020, Lord willing, we are now just three weeks away from finishing them up. However, we are not going to cut any corners here, and we are not going to get lazy at this stage in the game, because in all honesty, we now have got to work our way through 3 John. And I say that because although 2 John and 3 John have different focuses, and although they were written to two different and distinct audiences, 2 John and 3 John, they are in essence two sides of the same coin as the same three themes consistently come up in both epistles. Those themes being truth, love, and hospitality. Or to put it another way, how truth and love are to be applied when interacting with different traveling missionaries. So for example, in 2 John, the Apostle John addressed how his Christian readers were to truth in love, if you will, when dealing with traveling false teachers or individuals who had left the church and who were now traveling around to different church communities within Asia Minor and trying to deceive them about Jesus by claiming that Jesus was not truly God and truly man and that the Christ or the Messiah had not come in the flesh in essence, rejecting the true teachings about Jesus and thus ultimately denying the truth of the gospel. However, and here is the point of contention, church, for it was the practice of these false teachers while they were traveling to go to local house churches, a practice that was similar to that of the Christian missionaries, and to ask the church members if they would take them in while they were traveling and house them, and feed them, and support them during their stay, all while these false teachers would go out and preach that Jesus wasn't the Christ and wasn't the Son of God. And thus you can clearly see the dilemma here, church, that arises. Because how then are these Christians who are to love everyone to deal with these false teachers who are, as John writes, the Antichrist, or those who are literally against Jesus Christ when they do indeed come knocking at the door? Or to put it another way, how then are these Christians to love these false teachers in truth? And the answer to that question Well, as the Apostle John writes, they are not to receive them and they are not to greet them, meaning Christians are not to support false teachers or house false teachers or encourage them in their ministry, because to do that would mean that they, the Christians, are taking part in their wicked deeds and, in essence, helping the false teachers deceive the world with a message that ultimately leads to eternal death, which is not a loving thing to do, church, but instead is a hateful thing to do. However, as we see here today, John now turns his attention away from these false teachers here in his third epistle, and instead focuses his attention on how his Christian readers should interact with Christian missionaries. Which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. A Christian who is focused on walking in the truth 
will be a Christian who is focused on being hospitable to the needs of all their brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this. A Christian who is focused on walking in the truth will be a Christian who is focused on being hospitable to the needs of all their brothers and sisters in Christ. Thus, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to the epistle of 3 John, as today we will be looking at verses 1 through 8. Now, if you do not have a Bible with you this morning or do not own a Bible, please know there is one located in the chairs in front of you, which is our gift to you this morning, so please feel free to keep it. However, the only thing we ask is that you read it, starting today by turning to page 1026, and join us as we hear the Word of God together this morning. Again, we are in 3 John this morning, looking at verses 1 through 8. For the Apostle John, he writes, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning for your mercy and grace. Lord, for the common grace to open our eyes this morning and to hear the birds chirp this morning, to breathe in oxygen this morning, and to be able to get out of bed. Lord, we thank you for your redemptive grace. We thank you for the grace you have given us to draw us to yourself, to open our eyes to the truth of the gospel, to open our ears to the truth of the gospel, and to soften our hearts to be able to have faith in you. Father, that is what binds us together this morning, our faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. It guides and it leads us in how we interact with each other and how we love each other, for it is what binds us together with you and with each other, and how good it is to join together this morning to worship our most wonderful God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, I pray that you give me the words to speak, that they be bold and confident in you and in you alone, that they be humble and that they speak your truth. Father, equip me this morning, I pray, and help these words to be received by this dear flock, a flock that you have purchased with the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that the preaching of your word this morning is a sacrifice that is glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, 
Christian, be known by others for your love for the truth and your willingness to live out that truth. Christian, be known by others for your love for the truth and your willingness to live out that truth. Verses 1 through 4. John writes, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So before we get to the text this morning, just some big picture context to keep in mind to your church in terms of the audiences in which the Apostle John has written to so far. So if you can remember all the way back to 1 John, the audience in which the Apostle John wrote was to a community of churches, likely located throughout Asia Minor. Whereas in 2 John, the Apostle John sharpened his focus and wrote specifically to just one particular church in this region, aka to the elect lady. And finally, as we see today in 3 John, the Apostle John again tightens his scope of focus by clearly writing to just one church member, a member by the name, verse 1, of Gaius. Now, in all honesty, we do not know much about this man named Gaius, and although there are some other men in the New Testament named Gaius, as Alfred Plummer pointed out, the name Gaius was one of the most common names in all of the Roman Empire. Therefore, it seems best to resist the urge to try to link this Gaius with any others in the New Testament and to just be content to say that we don't know exactly who this man named Gaius was. However, although we do not know exactly who this man named Gaius was, the Apostle John, he sure did. For he wrote in verse 1 that he loved Gaius in truth. And in verse 2, that he prays that all may go well with Gaius and that he be in good health physically, just as he is strong in spirit. However, it is in verse 3 where we begin to learn a lot more about the character of this man named Gaius. For as John writes, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Now what seems to be taking place here, church, is that Although many churches throughout Asia Minor were dealing with theological attacks from the false teachers, there was one church or one region in particular that the Apostle John had taken a special interest in caring for. Therefore, in order to do so, he sent some brothers, as verse 3 notes, or some traveling missionaries to go to this church or to potentially a couple churches in this region in order to help them and to encourage them during this season of turmoil. And thus, when these brothers were on their journey, they met up with this man named Gaius and were taken in by him. And what we see here in verse 3 is that when these brothers returned to the Apostle John, they shared with him what Gaius had done for them, who was making it clear to all who came into contact with him that he was, verse 3, walking in the truth, meaning that Gaius was not only affirming the right truths about Jesus Christ and believing the right doctrines about Jesus Christ and confessing with his lips the right beliefs about Jesus Christ, but that he was also 
living those truths out, that he was letting his faith in Jesus Christ ultimately shape how he greeted the brothers, interacted with the brothers, cared for the brothers, loved the brothers, served the brothers, and carried himself in the midst of the brothers. So much so it was obvious to these brothers that this man named Gaius was a man of the truth, that his mind was committed to obeying the truth, that his tongue was faithful in speaking the truth, and that his actions were dedicated to loving others in the truth. And thus, make no mistake, church, because when that is the way you live your life in the truth, it becomes obvious to those around you that you have got to be a Christian. For that is, quite simply, not how the world around us walks, talks, acts, or lives. And thus, when the Apostle John receives this report and hears about the reputation and the character and the way in which this dear man is living out his life, John writes in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And honestly, who can blame the Apostle John for radiating with joy here? Because just as a teacher would wholeheartedly rejoice if they found out one of their former students was making contributions to scholarship, or just as a coach would wholeheartedly rejoice if they found out one of their former athletes was playing at the next level, so too is it natural then for John to wholeheartedly rejoice here when he finds out that one of his spiritual children is still walking in the truth of the gospel. Now, I realize some of you might be sitting there thinking, okay, well, that is great for the Apostle John and all. I mean, he is an evangelist, a pastor, and an elder, and is able to rejoice here because he has seen the fruit of his ministry. However, is there any application to me? Since I am obviously not an apostle or an evangelist or a pastor, and to which I would say, yes, of course, Christian, Because although you are not an apostle or an evangelist or a pastor, as a child of the Most High God, make no mistake, brother Christian, sister Christian, you indeed have a ministry, a ministry where you have been called by God to share your faith with others and to bear gospel fruit, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. Therefore, Christian, it doesn't matter if you're not an apostle. If you've got kids, then you've been called to preach the gospel to them, and it doesn't matter if you're not an evangelist, if you've got friends, then you've been called to preach the gospel to them. And it doesn't even matter if you're not a pastor or an elder. If you've got co-workers, then you have been called to preach the gospel to them. For if you've got brothers or sisters, parents or grandparents, aunts or uncles, or acquaintances of any kind who are not believers of the truth, then you have been called, Christian, to share with them in love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't even for a second, brother Christian, sister Christian, think of this as some kind of burden or drag or inconvenience to you or to your life. Because as the apostle John displays here, it is a joy for the Christian to win souls by God's grace to Jesus Christ. For as the late D.L. Moody shared, there is more than one kind of Christian joy. For there is the joy of one's own salvation, which I thought when I first tasted it was the most delicious joy I have ever known and could ever know. 
And as I found out afterward, there is also something even more joyful than that, which is the joy of the salvation of others. Oh, the privilege, the blessed privilege to be used by God to win a soul to Jesus Christ and to see a man or woman be led out of the bondage of their sin by some act of our own. To think that God would have us be co-workers with him, for that is the highest honor that we could ever have. For I believe it surpasses even the joy of our own salvation, this joy of seeing others saved and then walking in the truth. Church, you all know I have a six-year-old son named Theo, a four-year-old son named Simon, and a one-year-old daughter named Glory. And I honestly can't even fathom the joy I would feel to not only see my children come to faith in Jesus Christ, but to also see them live out their faith for the rest of their lives. And to know that somehow and in some way that I was used by God as one of his instruments to help bring them to Christ for I am getting goosebumps just thinking about it. And thus, brother Christian, sister Christian, if you desire to taste that same kind of joy that the Apostle John is talking about here, then your first step is to begin to share your faith with others, to always be prepared to deliver to others what you also have received, that Jesus Christ died for your sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, because as the Apostle John can clearly testify to, it is a ministry of joy to be able to do that. Therefore, never, ever, ever miss an opportunity, Christian, to share your faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ, with your kids, with your parents, with your aunts and your uncles, grandparents, co-workers, friends, acquaintances, and whoever else you come into contact with. Because through your preaching, Christian, God can sovereignly call those who you you love to now walk faithfully in him. Thus, what joy, what bliss, what delight we can experience, Christian, in the here and now to see that we have been used by God to win a soul to Jesus Christ. Thus, never be ashamed of sharing the gospel, Christian, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Which brings us to point number two. Christians, serve all other Christians you come into contact with, especially those who have gone out for the sake of the name. Christians, serve all other Christians you come into contact with, especially those who have gone out for the sake of the name. Verses 5 through 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So John begins verse 5 by noting that it is a faithful thing that Gaius is doing to welcome these brothers, these Christian missionaries, into his home and to care for them while they are on their journey. Especially since, verse 5, these brothers are strangers to Gaius, and that he does not know these men, he has never met these men, and thus he is not familiar with any of these men. Nevertheless, what allows Gaius to still welcome these men into his home 
and to greet them and to cook for them and care for them and pray for them and encourage them and to love them in a sacrificial manner is because of the common love and unity that they share together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thus for Gaius, it doesn't matter if they are strangers or newcomers. It doesn't matter if they are foreigners or aliens, for it does not even matter if they are immigrants or visitors or someone who he does not know, because if they are in Christ, then they are brothers together and members of the family of God together, which in turn directs and guides and leads Gaius to sacrificially loving them just as Jesus Christ loved us. And thus these brothers then, after experiencing the sacrificial love and care and hospitality of Gaius, they straight testified of his love before the church which in turn calls John to write verse 6, that you, Gaius, will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. In essence, saying to him, please, Gaius, simply keep on keeping on. Keep doing what you are doing. Keep greeting those missionaries. Keep receiving those missionaries. And verse 6, send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Meaning, send them on their way refreshed and encouraged and fully supported with what they need in order to make it comfortably to their next stop. Whether that be food or clothing or footwear or money or anything else. But when these brothers leave your house, Gaius, and you send them on their way, you make sure you do it in a manner worthy of God. Now why exactly is this so important to the Apostle John? That these servants of God be sent on their way in a manner worthy of God. And the answer is verses 7 and 8. Because they have gone out for the sake of of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. You see, church, these brothers who John is talking about here in verse 7, they have gone out into the world for the sake of the name, not for the sake of their own name, not for the sake of their own glory or for their own wealth, not for the sake of their own fame or their own fortune, but they have instead gone out for the sake of the name, for the sake of the glory of God himself to take his name into the world to people groups from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And these brothers, verse 7, they are accepting nothing from the Gentiles and that they have decided to not be supported by the pagan or by the heathen or by any individual who is not a believer of Jesus Christ. Now, why have they decided to do that? Well, within the context of this letter, far too often it was the practice of false teachers to not only travel around and to spew falsehoods and to try to deceive the world, but they, the false teachers, would also then try to take advantage of those who heard and believed their message by asking them for money and for donations and for support, similar to what we see from the prosperity teachers on TV today. Therefore, in order for these Christian missionaries to distance themselves from the false teachers and their wicked practices, they decided to not be supported by the unbelieving world. And thus, if that is the case, then as the Apostle John makes clear in verse 8, then we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth, that we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. 
Now, Faith Bible Fellowship Church, I know we have had a lot of new faces here now who have come within the past couple of months. And else, I just want to make sure we are all on the same page with this. We, Faith Bible Fellowship Church, are a pro-missions church. For we have congregants here who work at mission agencies. We have congregants here who have served as missionaries. We as a church body are currently supporting 10 missionaries. And it is our goal as a church body to have 20% of our budget be solely dedicated to missionaries. So yeah, make no mistake, we are a pro-missions church here. Now, that does not mean, church, that we believe that each and every one of us here has been called by God to go and to be a missionary in Asia or in Africa or in South America. However, what it does mean, taking our lead from verse 8 here, is that each and every one of us here has been called by God to support our brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone out for the sake of the name. Because without them, church, without our missionaries carrying out their call to go into the world and to preach the gospel to people groups who have never heard it, how then will those people ever hear and receive and believe the very message of Jesus Christ. Therefore, church, we must, must, must be active in supporting our brothers and sisters in Christ with these beautiful feet, with the willingness to go and to make disciples of all people from all nations by praying for them, by supporting them, and by giving them with a joyful and generous heart, all so that the name that is above every name and is declared among the nations and his marvelous works among men. Thus, church, let us be ready and willing to lovingly support our brothers and sisters in Christ with whatever they need, since they have gone out for the sake of bringing glory to our God's most holy and wonderful name. Now, as we close this morning, church, I want to begin with the non-Christian who is here first. And non-Christian, I have some wonderful news for you today, because this truth This message, this good news that missionaries literally travel all over the world to share with people groups from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation, you get to hear it this morning. Like right here, right now, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which goes something like this, that you non-Christian, as well as every other human being out there, is a sinner, meaning we have all broken the law of God and thus have all sinned directly against our holy God. And unfortunately, here is the problem with that non-Christian. The wage of our sin, the cost of our sin, the price of our sin, it is that of death. Therefore, the only way that we can escape the punishment we deserve for our sin and be saved from our sin is by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, in the only one non-Christian who defeated sin, who defeated death, and can now offer us the gift of eternal life. Now, how exactly did he do that? You might be wondering, non-Christian. Well, first off, Jesus Christ, who is truly God, he literally came into this world as truly man and was born under the law of God, just like any of us. 
However, unlike us, Jesus Christ, he didn't break any of the laws of God, for he instead lived the life that we could never live, a life that was perfect and righteous and holy, a life that was completely free of sin. And thus, Jesus Christ, he perfectly fulfilled the law of God for the children of God. However, non-Christian, that is not all that Jesus Christ accomplished. For the sinless Son of God also paid the price for our breaking of the law. Meaning Jesus Christ also bore the wrath of a holy God that we deserve for our sins. And thus Jesus Christ was crucified and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place and died a sinner's death as our very substitute. The righteous Son of God dying in place of the unrighteous and wicked sinners. But you know what, non-Christian? This sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross, it completely and fully and perfectly appeased the wrath of a holy God toward the sins of his children. And thus, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead as the proof, as the receipt to the world that he had indeed defeated sin and destroyed death and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. As the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. For that is, non-Christian, the one and only message that can ever save. And thus it would give me no greater joy this morning than for you non-Christian right here, right now to repent of your sin and to place your faith in Jesus Christ and to walk out of here this morning no longer dead in your sins but alive in Jesus Christ. And to the Christian who is here this morning, Brother Christian, Sister Christian, although there was a lot of content to unpack here today, I think it can all be tied and applied to our lives quite well if we close this morning by focusing our attention on verse 7, where the Apostle John, as he was discussing the brothers, wrote, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. For that, quite simply, church, was their motivation. For they went out so that the name of Jesus Christ might be further proclaimed and praised and glorified throughout the world. Now, to build on this theme a little bit this morning, Christian, what then is your motivation for doing all that you do? For example, Christian, what motivates you to share your faith with your children and with others? What motivates you, Christian, to care for your brothers and sisters in Christ, to give financially to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it so you can boast about how great you are? Is it so you can gloat about how much money you give? Is it so you can brag about how wonderful your name is? Or is it to echo the words of John the Baptist so that the name of Jesus Christ may increase and so that your name may decrease? I read a story this week written by the son of the missionary Hudson Taylor. And he wrote that in 1890, Hudson Taylor was scheduled to speak at a large church in Australia. 
And before a crowded audience, the moderator at the church spoke eloquent, well-chosen words and phrases of what had been accomplished in China through Hudson Taylor's efforts, before finally introducing him to the audience as our illustrious guest. However, when Taylor finally did step into the pulpit, he was quiet for a moment, and then he said to the audience, dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. Brother Christian, Sister Christian, as I mentioned earlier, we all here have a ministry in this life. And thus, if you look at your life this morning, Christian, and you notice that you aren't sharing the gospel openly and publicly and candidly with others because you don't want that to hurt your reputation at work, or if you look at your life this morning, Christian, and you notice that you aren't supporting or giving freely and joyfully to your brothers and sisters in Christ because you want that money so that you can keep up with the Joneses, then whose name are you really living for, Christian? For the sake of your name, for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise, or for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Because if you are unwilling to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because it might negatively affect your reputation at work, or if you refuse to support and care for the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ because you want that money so that you can afford the pride of life, then make no mistake, for your actions preach yourself and your name and not the name of Jesus Christ. And thus what we must never forget, Christian, is that we were bought with a price, that we are not our own, and that we do not live for ourselves anymore. But instead we live for the glory of our illustrious master, our master who predestined us, called us, regenerated us, justified us, who is sanctifying us, and who will eternally glorify us. For we now live for the one Christian who ultimately accomplished and gave to us everything we will ever need through eternity. Therefore, for us to preach or exalt or to boast in ourselves, Christian, that practice should forever be excluded from our lives. Because everything we do now, Christian, and I mean everything, is to be done for the sake of one name and for one name alone, for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. For I am telling you, church, it is now our heart's ultimate desire, as the redeemed as the children of God for the name of Jesus Christ to increase and for our names to decrease. Thus walk out of here this morning, church, in the joy of the Lord, knowing that you no longer have to live for your sins or for yourself, but because of God's mercy and grace, you can now live, church, for the sake of your illustrious master, for the sake of Christ. Thus live, Christian, live forever in Jesus Christ church, it is my prayer that we as a church body simply know who we are in Jesus Christ. For apart from Christ, we were dead in our trespasses, following after the course of this world, not righteous, not seeking the things of God, and in no way understanding. However, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, made us alive together in Christ, for by grace and grace alone we have been saved. Therefore, as the redeemed, we owe our salvation to you and only you, God. For we did not save ourselves, but our salvation is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. 
Therefore, help us, Father, in everything we do to do for the sake of your name. I mean, help us, Lord, to share our faith with everyone we know. And for those who we cannot share the gospel with, let us be quick to support those who can. Our brothers and our sisters in Christ who have taken up the call to go into the world and to preach the gospel to all nations. For that is the body of Jesus Christ working together and using their diverse giftings for the sake of the name. Also, that we may decrease and so that our illustrious and glorious master and his wonderful name be preached and increased throughout his created order. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, help us to be content to walk out of here today with our names decreasing and the name of Jesus Christ increasing. Let the world see that in our lives. Father, we no longer have to live for the pride of life. We now live for Christ. We don't have to live for our sins anymore. We live for Christ. Thus, Father, let all of our actions be dedicated to increasing his name. Let us be bold in our evangelistic efforts as we see from John there is much joy when we hear that our children are walking in the Lord, whether they be our physical children, our spiritual children, our friends, whoever, to know that we have been used by God as one of his instruments to share the gospel with someone and that he would use that to call them to himself. Oh, there is much joy in that. Let us be bold in sharing the gospel and supporting those who have gone out for the sake of the name. For that is how the body of Christ works. We are diverse in our giftings, but unified in our love for you. Thus, let us be quick, ready, and willing to support our brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone out for the sake of the name. In Jesus' name, amen.